this morning, we have the opportunity to hear from someone uh, who's become a good friend of mine, a gentleman named Marcus Redding. Uh, Marcus works for the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he was willing to fly all the way here during what feels like a record cold snap. Uh, he does not live in a place this cold normally. I think he brought every jacket he's ever owned in his life. But he made it this week. He's been meeting with pastors throughout the state of Alaska, uh, some different pastors who uh, are, are coming alongside our church. You guys may remember Pastor Tracy Simmons, who uh, came and spoke about a month ago. We did a pulpit swap. He also met with Gary Motes from First Baptist Church because we're beginning to see God move in a way where we think there's a wave of church planting coming for our state. Uh, for as long as I've been in Alaska, we've mostly seen churches in decline. Um, almost no churches are getting healthier. Most of them are aging, which is a thing that happens naturally, but they're not finding a way to pass the baton and continue to find health. And so Marcus has been here just to help us, just to coach a little bit. He's met with our staff, talked with me several different times, met with a few young men in our congregation who uh, feel that God may be leading them into church leadership, vocational ministry in the future. And so knowing he would be here, I asked him if he would be willing to speak this morning, and he said he would be glad to do that. So you may remember last week, I let you guys know that we're going to be taking some time at the conclusion of our service today to ordain Ian Johannes. We're still going to do that, uh, but Marcus was willing to sort of prepare a message that I think ties really nicely into what we'll be doing this morning. And if nothing else, it should be a testimony to us of how God's Spirit can coordinate all kinds of different people together to do one thing that's important to the Lord. So Marcus will come up in just a minute. Before he does that, though, I'd like to invite Shane Hunter up to the stage. Shane is going to do our scripture reading this morning, the passage that Marcus will be uh, leading us through as well. And so I will hand things off to Shane. And when he's done, you guys can help me welcome Marcus to the stage. We'll hear from God's word. Good morning. I'm Shane, if you haven't met me. I'm going to be reading from Acts 14, verse 19 through 28, I believe. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystria and to Iconium and to Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Poseidon and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Antilia. And when they were sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended by the, to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they, were, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Good morning. And hey, now look, y'all, I'm, I'm an old man. Y'all are used to a young guy. And uh, so here's something a little bit strange for me. Uh, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, which is uh, a little bit warmer than this. Uh, but I was a little bit surprised that when you finish singing, you don't applaud. Uh, I, I just, I can't help it when, no, 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 no. see, that, that's why you don't, right? Uh, now I know why they don't, uh, never mind. 
so I, I'm, I'm very relational. So as I speak to you guys and I ask you things, if you don't speak back, I only have 20 minutes. So you'll waste my 20 minutes if you don't speak back to me, right? So, so when I'm trying to engage you, we're really here, God really here, and he brought you here for some reason, brought me here for some reason, and he's the only one that knows the dynamic of that, right? Y'all don't know me, and I don't know you, but God knows you, and he knows me, and he put us together in this room for a reason, and that's a big deal. So I give you greetings uh, from Kevin Izell and North American Mission Board. Uh, I, I would love to say a whole bunch of stuff about the work that we do, uh, but I am delighted with the relationship I've already been able to form with your pastor and uh, the staff and even some of the elders, and I look forward to what may take place in the coming days. Um, when I was asked if I would speak, and then I was kind of given the, the context of what would be going on this morning, uh, it, it thrilled me. Through the years, I've been able to ordain uh, all kinds of men in gospel ministry, and um, so as I think about what's taking place, I need to do a little bit of a survey, all right? Because I, I don't know you guys. So if you have been a Christian less than 10 years, raise your hand. Okay. So that's only a handful of you, five, six. Uh, if you just lied, raise your hand. I'm, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> so uh, y'all not old. I mean, there's nobody in here. There's a couple of guys that may be close. but uh, So you, you've been a Christian most of your life? Raise your hand. Okay. Um, so what I want us to do the text that was read is where we're going to jump in I ask questions when I preach a message and some pastors it makes them really mad because they want me to make statements I ask questions because I want you to ask questions right so there's going to be an ordination laying on of hands of an elder and so here, here's the question th this morning uh, will you finish the task because the reality is I mean I could call Ian up uh, I would never be invited back, but I could call Ian up and I could lay hands on him and say, okay, we're done, let's go home. Uh, so Philip would never allow me to come back. But, but is, is that just an event that will take place today or what's the bigger deal? So what I would like for us to do uh, is that I want to take the context of what was read to you. By the way, I'm, I'm sure that was scary when you listened that Paul was actually beaten. They thought he was dead. You know, they didn't start off well. But when we got down into the meat of what was taking place, we saw what was the end of Paul's first missionary journey. What I want to do for just a moment uh, is to ask my first question under the big question of are you going to finish the task and, and ask this question, where did this come from? Now, let's do two things. Where did this come from, meaning this whole deal with Paul? But where did this come from with Ian? Where did this come from with you guys? Why are you in here? And what is God really up to? Because, y'all, this is sad if we're just doing an event today and there's no eternal purpose in this, right? So as we think through the text, I want us to go back in our heart, and if you have your Bible, you can turn back. Uh, Acts 13, I want to give just a, a very quick intro uh, into how this started. Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, uh, they were at the church of Antioch, prophets, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lysias of Cyrene, uh, Manian, a lifelong friend of, of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart to me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Now here again the question, where did this come from? Well, if we go back to what Jesus said before he left... 
He, he said, go make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, right? He said that. Uh, he, he ascends back to the Father. The disciples are, are very concerned. They want to see something happen. And he said, look, when you receive power, you're going to receive power when I send my spirit, and you're going to be witnesses for me, right? Everybody remembers that. You remember those stories? If not, then go back and read Matthew 28, uh, read Acts 1-8. When we see Paul come on the scene, uh, he, he previously was a Christian killer. That was his role, right? So y'all are not engaging. You're, you're just, uh, they engage with you? Y'all, y'all don't understand. I'm old enough that I'll, I'll keep going until you start engaging with me. So uh, you e- either smile or, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll come down there. You may have to move your camera back because I may have to come into the congregation. Uh, so, so as we think of where this came from, we, we, we reach back and our king, before he left, he said, go be witnesses. When the Spirit was given, what happened, Acts chapter 2, the church started witnessing, right? You remember that? The, the church was developed. Well, anytime people begin to gather, you need to know what to do with them. You just dismissed the children. That didn't happen on happenstance. It was a planned thing, right? There's rooms waiting, leaders waiting. There was a plan behind it. When Jesus called us to go make disciples, he didn't just do that arbitrarily and then see if anything happened and if something would happen and maybe he would figure it out later. He had a plan all along. When we look at Paul's life and and he's called out to preach the gospel, here he had this, this history that wasn't so good in the Christian church. And yet when God called him, he immediately began using him to a different group of individuals which we don't understand at all. He went from the Jews to the Gentiles. So when we're thinking about where did this come from, it started with our king saying, go make disciples. But it it continued as Jesus said, I've got to leave so that I can send my spirit. When the spirit comes, he's going to empower you. When he empowers you, you'll be witnesses for me. So as this happens, this verse opens that we read in in Acts chapter 13. They're fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit says, set apart Paul and Barnabas. I want to ask you a question this morning. When when you think about what's taking place, where did this come from? I'm talking about where did ordaining Ian, where did that come from? Is that something that Pastor Philip came up with? Is it a spirit-led thing? Have you guys prayed for Ian? Do you understand? Did you come this morning in an attitude of fasting and prayer? Fasting doesn't mean you just don't eat. Uh, I had to fast last night from television because I was tired, and I clicked on the tube and just wanted to watch a moment, and, and I wasn't supposed to. And that may sound silly to you, but it was God's way of saying, why don't you spend time with me there's some more things. And I, I honestly, I wanted to argue with him. No, I, I would really rather watch TV for a moment. Uh, now, I don't know if you talk to God that way, but I really do. And that's, it scares me that sometimes we disconnect. We do religious things, but, but we don't realize, y'all, God is here, and he wants to work in this moment. So in this text of Scripture, where did it come from? It came from our king giving an, an admonition that, that we should go make disciples. Uh, the spirit that, that Jesus sent uh, calls out Paul and Barnabas. And so let's, let's transition down to our text. If, if, if we're going to ask where it all started, we're going to say from Jesus, and now his spirit has, has called someone out, then why do we even need to do this? So let me go back through the text that was read to you. Now, after Paul is beaten half to death and he, he revives, Scripture says, verse 21, 
uh, when they had uh, rose up, they entered the city. He preached the gospel to that city. Many disciples. And then the Bible says, and then they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And now watch what they're doing. They're strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Now, now guys, why am I here this morning? Why, why is it? Is it just the, the guy from Nam? By the way, that's North American Mission Board, N-A-M-B. Not, I know you have to be very careful with my southern draw. That can come across extremely wrong, all right? So, so why am I here on a morning that Ian is going to be ordained? Am I just, you know, Philip's being nice to give me just a moment? What, what, why is all of this even needed? Well, when we're watching what Paul's doing, he's been on this missionary journey. They, they've established churches, and now he's going back through, and he's strengthening the disciples. Well, how do you do that? That's my heart's desire this morning. I, I want to be a part of encouraging and strengthening True North. Well, how do you do that? You take the people of God back to the Word of God. You know, there are promises in Scripture that Jesus gave us that we've got to hold on to. And what does that have to do with ordaining an elder? What is an elder? An elder is not an old person. Ian's not old like I am. Uh, I mean, you know, and he's glad. Elder means mature in the faith. In other words, that he doesn't just know about Scripture, but, the, but he's actually applied those Scripture. He's he watched God do things in his life. So he's got history. It doesn't mean that he's perfect, but it means that he's had a, a walk with God. He's got some maturity about him. So, so why would we bother laying on hands? Keep, keep going on in the text. They, they strengthen, they encourage, uh, saying, through many tribulations you must enter in the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders to every church, now remember, they had gone on this journey and they're planting churches in all these cities, but now they're looping back around and they're, and they're calling out those who are qualified to be elders. Why? To help the church. What is it that Ian would do in the congregation? He'll be an encouragement. How would be an encouragement? By, by directing you back to the Word of God. Which church, that, that leads us to two things. Are we spending time personally in front of God, listening so fasting and praying, Lord, what do you want with my life? But are we open to what the Word of God teaches us in the application of God? What do you want me to do? Because the fact is, Ian being an elder does not mean that he's more important than you or that God has a better call on his life than he does on your. Every Christian is called to take the gospel. Every Christian. So why do we need this? Well, we, we need this because as we look at the church, God has ordained that this is the way we do things. This is the way we... How do I know that? Because the Spirit called out these elders. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us that. They prayed and fasted, and then they laid hands on these elders, and they began their task. True North, I, I love what God's doing. I mean, I can't believe all the young people. And y'all don't think you're young, those of you that are 20, 30, but you're young. My, my baby is 27. But, but I want you to understand something. The God of the universe is the one who created you. And he did it for a purpose. And when we're thinking about what's going to take place this morning, I'm, I'm praying for a spiritual awakening among the people of God that we begin to see our life in a fresh way, that this is not doing church. If, if this is about true north praying through, do we, do we meet here, do we meet there, do we call this guy, do we go this place? It can all become mechanical, Pastor. But on the other side, church, when you begin to get on your face and spend time with God, fasting and praying, do you do that as a church? 
Do you say, can we, can we take away some things in our life and instead of whether it's watching television, eating, whatever it is that you like to do, can we take some time away and specifically say, God, what do you want with us? Because what will happen, God will begin speaking. When God begins speaking, then it's our privilege to get to obey. Now, y'all watch. The difference is, instead of it being Pastor Philip saying, I want to present to you Ian, we're going to lay hands on him and move forward, then it is a unity of the body of Christ because you guys have prayed and the Spirit of God has burdened your heart as well. And there's a unity across the church. Now, let me warn you of something. If you find yourself constantly just saying, well, Pastor, we trust you, uh, they, they should trust you or fire you. I mean, that's, you know, one of the two. But you understand, Pastor Philip is a man. The Spirit of God lives in all of the people of God. And there's nothing more fun than praying together as a church and watching the Spirit of God lead your pastor and the Spirit of God leading you in the same direction. And you're able to say, Pastor, God's saying the same thing to me. Y'all got a lot going on as a church. I mean, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for all of you guys. But God help us if it's nothing but just stuff that we're doing and not the Spirit of God. So turn to the person beside of you and ask them this question. What's the last thing that the Spirit of God said to you? Ask the person beside you. What's the last thing that the Spirit of God said to you? Did anybody answer? <laughs> you didn't tell us to answer. No, did. did anybody answer? So you don't like to talk to me, but you do like to talk to each other. <laughs> did anybody answer? Okay. Don't ever stop as a church asking God, what do you want? And then repeating to each other what he just said. When you have covenant member meetings, I'm assuming you affirm things. I mean, right? Don't ever affirm until God said, but when he says, we really ought to applaud. Do you, I mean, is it not amazing to you that we get to be a part of the creator of the universe? Right now, I'm getting to be a part of his work. My prayer is that he's going to raise up all kinds of people to reach Alaska out of true, it's my prayer. I'm praying that God raise up an army out of true north and send them out into Alaska to take the gospel. It's my prayer. That's a prayer God can answer, right? So let me, let me finish. Here's my third question. So what is your part? And I want to speak just a moment to Ian, and then I want to speak to the congregation. In the scripture says, verse 22, uh, it, it's through much tribulation that we enter. This doesn't sound very encouraging, but the reality is we're in a spiritual warfare. How many of y'all believe that we really are in a spiritual battle? Uh, I, it, it makes me mad when, when we downplay that, right? If you think any of us are smart enough to overcome the enemy, then we're dead wrong. It's not about being intelligent. It's, it's not about being a strong-willed person. Spiritual warfare can only happen when we hide behind the Spirit of God and He does battle for us. So when I think about Ian's life and, and he's saying, Lord, I surrender myself. Uh, I'm willing 
to, to be, play that role for the body of Christ, to strengthen and encourage them and help them move forward uh, by faith in you. He's going to come under more spiritual attack than ever before in his life, which leads me to the second part of what is your part, and that's to the church. What is your part, and that's to pray. Now, Philip, I've never been a part of your ordination services, and by the way, I'm not going to be, uh, I'm going to be really rude. When I finish, I'm going to leave, and, and so for that you give thanks uh, because I won't come back up and say anything else, right? But I hope to get to see you again. If I don't, then I'll know how it went. Right? Right? But church, will you pray for Ian? I mean, I know you know you're supposed to nod your head, although some of you didn't. But will you really pray for Have you ever told somebody you'd pray for them and you didn't? You forgot. What if you put an alarm on your phone that every day for the next 30 days you're going to pray for Ian and his family? And then out of that time of prayer, you're going to text him Here's some things that God said to me this morning for you. Would you do that? I mean, would you do that? Is that just me asking you to do that? Or is that God asking you to do that? Because church, again, this is, we just read about Paul and Barnabas. God used them to do tremendous work, plant churches all over the place. It was so exciting. But do you understand the same God that did that is the same God, if this is real, the same God that's called Ian out. And you're getting to be a part of that. A life-changing experience. I'll never forget when I was ordained. I'll never forget it. I had no earthly idea what God would do. If you'd ever told me that I'd be 55 years old getting to speak to a group in Alaska, not on my radar. Uh, I was a construction guy minding my own business. I had no clue what God was getting ready to do with me. So as we think about True North, as we think about the significance of the day, my prayer for you is that you become a praying church and that you take seriously to learn how to listen to the voice of God. Now, how do you hold accountability with that? The answer is by speaking to each other about what God's saying. And here's the role of the elder, and I quit. As you begin to do that, then these elders that are more mature in Scripture and they've lived that out, they've fleshed that out, you're able to say, hey, look, I've been talking to God, and I think these are some things He's saying to me. Why would you run those by those elders? Not because they're all authority and they're going to tell you what you can and can't believe. It's not that. But they'll pray along with you. It'll be to begin to solidify those truths that God's speaking to your heart. Your faith grows in the fact that, yes, He has called you out. And you do need to take that next step. Do y'all believe that true north could be used of God to reach all of Alaska? So are you part of true north? then you're not a silent part. All parts of the body are different, yes, and yet all parts of the body are just as important. So my prayer for you is in the days ahead, I'll get to be a part of seeing God do amazing things. Pastor, I am beyond thrilled of getting to be here. Um, I'm praying for all of you. Uh, I'm, I'm laying hands on Ian in my heart as I drive over to the other location, but I want to pray over you. Father, as I extend my hand over this congregation, it's my prayer that today they would realize the significance of your presence, not the significance of some denominational guy being here, not the significance of somebody from a different state being here, but the Almighty. Lord, help us to know that not only are you here, but you're, you're amazing, you're 
your mercy to us, your grace is unfathomable. And, and Lord, I pray that we would see you in all of your beauty and that our heart, our lives would be surrendered to who you are and what you've done for us. Father, I pray a blessing over Philip and, and the elders of this church, the staff. I, I, I just ask, Lord, will you do a great work? But all of that be for your glory. May you and you alone receive all honor and glory and praise because you and you alone deserve that. We love you. And again, I pray a blessing over this church. Bless Ian in this new venture, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Marcus. Church, I wrote in my notes here that we were going to shift gears at this point, but I don't think so. I think we're in gear right now. I don't know if you're feeling what I'm feeling, if, you're, if you've been talking to the Lord and taking Marcus seriously, but I believe our brother has a lot to say, and he said it well, and he's right. What we're about to do, there are ways to do it that are right. There are prescriptive texts in the Bible that guide the way that we do it, but if all we do is try to stay inside those rails and expect our unfeeling, uninvolved selves to somehow participate in something meaningful spiritually in Ian's life, it's foolishness. I hope that what Marcus meant to do is what he did. I hope that he stirred you. I hope that those of you who were here last week took the charge to take your membership seriously. Membership is not about a business meeting vote. It's an opportunity to participate in the future of other people in God's kingdom. There is probably nothing more momentous in your life than what we will participate in right now as we affirm what God has already made clear to Ian. So Ian and Asia, if you guys would come and sit in these chairs. For those of you that have never been in an ordination service before, there's no real prescription in the scriptures except that we lay hands and pray, so we're gonna do that. But for the sake of accountability here, I'm asking Ian and Asia to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable. And that is not to look at me while I talk about them, but to look at you and for you to look at them. These are human beings. These are real people in front of you. This is not an unnamed, unknown office. This is not a group of people who get a paycheck from the church. This is a man and his family who have been called by God, gifted by God, and I want you to think about them. I want the image of them in those chairs before you to sear into your memory and into your heart as we speak about what God is doing in their lives. Now, as I said last week, Ian has already been appointed as an elder, and so that puts him in kind of a unique position. Some might say that in a way that, that maybe that makes this a more uncomfortable. I don't think so. I think actually we have the advantage as a congregation. There's maybe a little bit less faith in what we have to do today because we've lived under Ian's leadership. We've seen him be faithful up to this point. Ian, I would argue, is the model lay elder for True North Church. He is local to Anchorage. He understands us both the people of Alaska, but he also has enough outside perspective to be able to relate to those of us from the lower 48. Ian has been unwaveringly dedicated to the good of this church. I would argue that his perspective is that he would be unwaveringly dedicated to the good of any church anywhere, but God has put him here, and he takes that charge seriously. He understands and thankfully even enjoys finances. That's a great strength that he brings to our team. Uh, when I have to ask Ian to update a spreadsheet, he smiles, and I wouldn't. Ian is not confrontational, but he is willing to be disliked if that means that he's telling someone the truth because he loves them. He's consistent. He has been incredibly trustworthy. He is careful. He is wise, and he's reasonable. 
a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus has saved Ian, and now Ian will follow Jesus anywhere. And that's the, excuse me, yeah, Ian will follow Jesus anywhere. I thought I said those backwards. That's an important one to get right. And that perspective, following Jesus, that's the philosophy of the way that Ian loves his wife, Asia. It's the backbone of their relationship. It's his philosophy with his son, Alton, and his daughters, Ivy, Sloan, and Amel, that he will follow Jesus anywhere. That is where he is leading them. Ian has shown himself to be a capable Bible teacher. He is also a gentle shepherd. He leads and guides and directs with strength, but always strength under control. So why do we need to ordain him, right? If he's doing all of these things, if he's already doing the work of an elder, isn't he already qualified? He is. Hasn't he more than proven himself? Consistent, capable, called out by God? Yes, he has. I believe, church, that Ian is unordained, not because of any weakness or failing on his part, but because of the failing of his local church. And I don't say that as an indictment against any of you individually. We collectively are here today to make that right. No guilt, no shame in that. Most of us, if not all of us, weren't even here when he was appointed as an elder. We would have had no say in what happened. But we believe, according to the prescription based in Scripture, that it is our responsibility to do that. And so when we talk about ordination, what we're meaning is consecration. And you may remember as we worked through the book of Exodus that we arrived at the Passover And I tried to communicate to you that God had two intentions in the Passover. One was to call his people out away from the world in their immediate context. That was the nation of Egypt, religiously, philosophically, socially, culturally. But as he called them out and away, he also bound them together. It's the idea of holiness. It's not just being removed, though sometimes as humans we we dilute holiness down to just what we won't do or who we won't associate with. It's actually additive. It's about what we will do now who we will become, who God will make us, and how he will do that, not just as individuals, but corporately. And so we want to do that for Ian. We want to set him apart, to uniquely qualify him so that he may serve a specific purpose in God's economy, to be a local church elder. And by participating in Ian's ordination today, what you and I will do is set him apart as a shepherd over us. And I say us meaning that, myself included. Ian is my elder as well as yours. He is one of my pastors as well as yours. The book of 1 Timothy is sort of the great recipe book for eldership. Really, any of the offices of the church, it deals with deacons as well. And towards the end of the book, the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy, a disciple of his, a man appointed to go and appoint elders, of what it means to have been appointed, to have been ordained by a local church. I want to read to you beginning in 1 Timothy 4.11. Paul says, command and teach these things, meaning everything that came in the previous three chapters. Let no one despise you for your youth, but instead set the believers an example in the way that you speak, in your conduct, in love for one another, in your faith in God, and in the purity of your life. Until I come to you, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Devote yourself to exhortation and to teaching. and Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching and persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Our brother Ian was never given that gift, not the specific spiritual gift that Timothy was given by the council of elders in his day, but the gift of having those who love and support him actually reach out and touch him and his family. 
a thing that for some of us actually feels dangerous or even scandalous because of the last 24 months of our lives, right? A basic thing that we used to do all the time, which was just to say, hey, I love you, I'm here for you. There's a, a barrier to that now. And so in some ways, what we're going to do today, this morning, is going to push back against not only our own individual inhibitions, but part of kind of the way that our relationships have warped a little bit. We're going to get back to faithfully trusting Christ and putting our hands out and touching a person who we want to empower. And as we do that, we will do four things. I want to just briefly, if I can, illuminate for you why this is important. First, in ordaining Ian, what we will do is we will empower him by way of our participation. We can't qualify him on our own. We also can't disqualify him because he himself meets those requirements and does so in God's sight. But we can publicly affirm God's choice. And we can communicate to the overseer, to Ian, that we are willing to submit to being overseen, which makes overseeing a lot easier when people say, yes, I want you to play this role in my life. In a few minutes, those of you who are willing will stand, you'll come forward, we'll extend our hands toward Ian and his wife, and we will say to him and to each other that it is good and right for Ian to expect our participation in the life of this church, and that we will willingly submit to his leadership as an elder, here's the caveat, as long as he leads in a way that honors Jesus. Number two, we will acknowledge Ian by way of our appreciation today. Because of Ian's unique position of having served our church as an elder up to this point, he's loved us well without our full participation in his empowerment. It's very likely that much of what he's done has gone unnoticed or at least unacknowledged by some of us. And I have no doubt that Ian knew from the beginning that he could not rely on human praise to sustain his leadership here at True North. Or if he didn't know that, then I'm sure he learned that pretty quickly. <laughs> But by extending our thanks to him, we not only thank him for what he has done, we acknowledge that every good choice that he has made on our behalf has cost him something. It doesn't come free. Leadership is not free. Leadership is not just having a bunch of people who think you're amazing puff up your sails so that you skim across the surface of life's problems. Leadership means you have your own chaos in your life, but you take on other people's too because you trust that God will sustain you through that process, not because you're excellent at managing and fixing problems. Every good choice Ian has made has not only cost him, it's cost his family something, time, attention, energy, or just peace, just a gentle pace that sometimes is unsustainable when you're reaching out into the lives of other people, the darkest and most painful moments that they have. Now, we cannot repay that debt, and we shouldn't try, but what we can is acknowledge it, and we can appreciate it, and we can communicate that appreciation to Ian. Number three, we will authorize him by way of our invitation. Each of us who submits to membership at True North invites the influence of our elders. Our elders understand their responsibility to be pastors, to care for the spiritual needs of the congregation, to teach the word accurately, to love the way that God loves us, and to maintain the theological boundaries of the church. And to carry that kind of authority, it's really not something you can teach a person to do. You can't learn enough church history or read enough books on doctrine to become a gentle and wise leader. In order to lead well, you must be followed well. And you and I, as church members here, invite Ian's influence into our lives, into our marriages, into our careers, and into our children's futures by authorizing him to carry himself like an elder. Now, if this sounds the same as empowerment, I want to make a distinction here. Empowerment is saying, okay, God has called you, and therefore you can do whatever eldering is somewhere for somebody sometime. 
Authorization is saying, you can do it for me, for us, for, for those who I call mine, for the people who are in my household. I give you that authority. I grant it to you by way of inviting you in. That invitation into our lives is the practical authorization Ian will need when we are in sin or when we are wounded or when we're stuck in the darkness of our own self-destructive tendencies. It takes a covenant people to stay close when life's problems seem impossible. And it's in those moments that God oftentimes sends an elder our way, a shepherd into our darkness. It's in those moments that we will need Ian to remember that we authorized him to have that role in our lives. And as painful as it may be, he is also authorized to help us fight to keep Jesus at the center. Finally, we will care for him by way of our intercession. And Marcus and I did not compare notes, but he's land, he landed in the same place I'm going to land with you today. If you feel like you have some uh, high and mighty position today because you get to help God make a pastor, you've misunderstood your primary role in this man's life. Your primary role in this man's life is to be on your knees or your face or whatever physical posture you take in which you beg God to do good for him. We as elders don't serve because we like being in charge. Our two-hour elder meetings every two weeks are not the most fun thing we do with our time. They are challenging. We grapple with truth, with possibilities, with the future, with God's word, and with God himself. We do it because we think we're supposed to because God has called us to do it. But we cannot sustain ourselves. No elder can pour back into any other elder what that man needs to continue to walk in leadership in a local church. You must ask God to do that, and God will. God will answer that call that you put out, that he would fill Ian with his spirit. We have the same needs, you and I, that Ian has. We can't, as Marcus said, see him as anything different than just a man. He is a man whom God has called, but he is a man nonetheless. He is tired like you are tired. He is susceptible to profound selfishness, just like you are. He can become embarrassed like you. He can become self-conscious like you. He can be unsure of himself. He can even fear what other people think. Yes, making a man an elder does not remove stage fright or his concern for what you think of him. Ian also has a career. He has a covenant with Asia, his wife, to belong to her, to give his life to her. He has four wonderful and unique and sometimes challenging children. His words, not mine. And he has his own set of baggage. His baggage that he also has to surrender to the Lord every day. Receiving the assurance of Jesus' supremacy over all of his circumstances. He is an elder, but he is also just a man. He is a great leader and a great teacher whose legacy at True North will outlive all of us. But he is also mortal and fallible and finite. So what do we do? We don't berate him. We don't attack him. We don't wait for a moment of weakness to tear him down and disqualify him. We intercede for him. We don't just think nice thoughts. We don't just wish him well when we see him around. We pray. We speak to God about Ian Johannes. We lift him up. We care for him. And we're going to do that now. So I'm going to stay up here. I will lead us in prayer for my brother Ian. And if you are willing right now, if Jesus is leading you to do it, will you just come and stand up? Right now, there's not, this is it. This is the moment. I know we're always like, is he done? Should I do it now? Just come, if you would. Lay hands on him if you're willing. If you're in a position because of COVID where you're not able to do that, I'm not trying to put any unreasonable pressure on you today. And certainly, if you would like, you can extend a hand from where you are. God will hear your prayers if your hands are in your pockets or your lap as well. 
going to give you a minute to get here. What we want to do is empower him. We want to acknowledge how God has used him in our lives. We want to authorize him to be who God has set him apart to be, and we want to care for him. As you make your way, here are the qualifications for an elder from 1 Timothy 3, and then I'll pray for us. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, and therefore an overseer must be above reproach. He must be the husband of one wife. He must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil, and moreover... He must be well thought of by outsiders so that they may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Would you bring us all the way here right now? Not what's next, not where we came from, God, right here, present with you. In many ways, we are participating in a miracle, God. We have no authority other than what's been given to us. We have no power. There's nothing magical or super spiritual about a bunch of people touching each other on the arm. But we are submitted to your spirit. And we believe that there is immense power in the spirit of you, God, in each of us. And we are of one mind right now, one accord, unified. We, as best as we know how, are working to fulfill the prayer of Jesus in John 17, that we would be one as you and the Father Jesus are one. Make us one. And out of that oneness, allow us to raise up an overseer, not a king, God, not a new prophet, not a priest to stand between us and you, but an under-shepherd, a man who is willing to try his very best to lead and to walk with peace and gentleness, but firmness and stand for the truth. God, may you continue to qualify and requalify Ian. May you draw him into deeper and more meaningful and more personal awareness of your spirit in his life. May he be a man more concerned with knowing you than knowing about you. May you drive out the fear that is in him because he is a person, God, the concerns about his past or his future, his trajectory, is he good enough, is the absolutely understandable stress from the normal things in his life, something, spirit, that you will allow to consume him. We believe that it's not. We are asking you to protect him from that. Fill and refill him, God. We know by his track record he will pour himself out, and none of us can restore what he has given to you and his church, to your church. Father, we ask a blessing upon him. We do want to echo the work of the Council of Elders in Timothy's life, God, and prophetically, not in a way that sees the future, but in a way that has full hope in your promises. We speak truth over him that you will use him to the hilt, God, that you will use him, that you will spend his life on and for your kingdom. We want to be a part of that. God, lead us, guide us, fill us up with the urge, the desire, the magnetism to reach out, to encourage, to uplift, to pour into, and to help. We come to you with humility. We ask only, God, what you've promised to us before. We trust that you will do all your will in Ian's life we trust you in the good times, God. We'll trust you when it's hard. We love you. We believe what we've asked, God. We have great faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You guys can move back to your seats. Take your time. Ian and Asia will be around at the conclusion of the service this morning. If you want to speak a word of encouragement to you, very likely, 
the Spirit of God has brought a memory up, a moment of importance, a time, a place where Ian or Asia were able to step into your life and give and help and support. And church, this is the last thing that I'll ask you to do. And then we're going to be dismissed this morning. Would you continue in the posture that your heart is in now? Would you find a way to make this not a once a year moment of connection with God and his people, but would you fight for this? Because Jesus says it's yours. When he talks about abundant life, he means this, this kind of meaningful thing that you'll never find out there. There's no award ceremony or draft pick for your favorite sports team or big win on a Saturday or a Sunday. There's no moment of Christmas bonus or financial raise. There's no instance of a child fulfilling their dream that can touch what God does in the midst of his people. So let's find a way to make this our normal. As we route a course for our future that involves all kinds of logistical conversations, as we are now 10 days away from arguably the most important business meeting our church has ever had, can we approach that setting in step with one another because we are in step with the Spirit of God? Will you prioritize God's word? Will you prioritize speaking to God, talking to him, remembering what it is that he did that brought salvation into your life in the first place? Will you get out of your rut? Will you get out of your robotic going through the motions? And will you let a moment like this shake you awake? Because God's will is not for you to die when you're 85, having had five to 10 of these experiences along the way. Five really cool journal entries in your life. The will of God for you is that you would be alive every day. That is what Jesus died for, nothing less. We prayed for Ian. We prayed for his family, for his life, for his future. I believe we ought to end today speaking to God on our own behalf. So I'm going to pray again, one of the great things we get to do over and over again when we gather. And I would ask that you join me, please. Father, would you move in us? Would you allow us, God, to gain an appetite for connection to you? And understanding that we are not just mental people designed and built to understand complex truths, that we're not just physical people designed to do good things for our neighbors, God, but that we are spiritual beings made in your image, and without a connection to you, all of our batteries are dying all the time. I think we know that. I think it feels like that to most of us. Would you, God, remind us, stir us, move us, awaken us to the truth of your word and the immediate proximity of your spirit? Would you give us great faith to pray simple prayers, to open ourselves each day to your presence, God, to invite you into our lives, to ask you to work on things that feel impossible to us, to have the faith just to ask. This is the kind of people that we want to be, God, regardless of what our mailing address will be in the future. We want to be a people who are filled to the brim with your spirit, in lockstep with one another, perfectly in sync, God, unified, and all of that built on your word. Would you make us a diverse and separate group of people into a people like that? One body, one mind, one mission. We love you, Father. We believe that you've been here with us this morning the entire time, that what we've done, we've done in your name, for your purposes, God, with great hope for what you'll do. We trust you. God, I beg you that you would stir and shake us and that we would be different because of our encounter with you today. We love you. We trust you to do these things. And we pray in Jesus' name.